Welcome back, Bucket Busters. I'm your host, Tim Johnson, and this is the Busted Bucket Podcast. Locally grown here in Portland, Oregon, the city of roses, city of bridges, Stumptown PDX. This is a show dedicated to Rip City and everyone who loves Portland basketball. Joining me is my co-host, Eric, the Encyclopedia Foster. What's up, the Rip City? Bay oh, I blew area it. Blazer Rose Panta. Look good, feel good, pod good. Let's get it. Oh, you did blow it there, and, and I wasn't giving you any any help there. Um, but gentlemen, <laughs> I gotta say we got a good show lined up today. We have a special guest joining the show. He's the current radio play-by-play announcer and co-host of the Rip City Drive with Chad Doing, Travis Demers. Thanks for joining the show, man. Yeah, happy to be on with you guys. Thanks for thinking of me. Absolutely. So, uh, just a quick rundown. We're gonna talk about. The last two games, uh, Blazers take on the Hornets and the Sixers. But first, we got some questions for you, Travis. And I hope sure you're ready. Oh, I'm so, always ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> first off, um, we figure you're probably traveling with the team. So, where are you calling from? Uh, beautiful, gorgeous Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. Said no nice. one ever. You guys have ever, yeah. I mean, all the hotel rooms look the same. But, th- yeah, exactly. Said no one ever. I've been through Cleveland a couple of times. And I, so I like to get off on tangents. So my apologies now, because it's, it's going to happen. That's all good. <laughs> Cleveland was when I moved to Portland in 2003 and my U-Haul broke down in Akron and we had to stop. My buddy Mike was driving out with me and we had nothing to do. So we're like, oh, let's, let's drive into Cleveland. So we came into Cleveland. It was like a Thursday night, the weekend that like colleges were opening up and there was like nobody and nothing happening. It was like the most boring night of my life. So that was my first and lasting impression of the booming metropolis that is Cleveland. Nice. I think I heard Chad uh, Chad Doing call it the armpit of America today. Yeah, he did. I don't home. think he's been to Detroit. <laughs> Apologies to any uh, Cleveland Blazer fans out there. No. Not really. So we got to ask, is Dame in the room with you too? Is he helping you prep for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm, I'm not even sure Dave knows my name. Like <laughs> around all the time. Like I'm, I'm only slightly exaggerating. Like every conversation that I've had with him, except for media day. So I guess that's different. It's been like on a microphone from far away and things like that. I'm, Dame's observant, so I'm sure he knows who I am. But like, we don't exactly have a relationship. Like our, our kids played together one time because of like a mutual friend. But like. Yeah, we're 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 not we're not tight, you know. I, when I when I was interviewing for this job, the uh, Blazers, one of the, the higher ups, asked me, he "Goes so, what are you going to do to to build good relationships with the players?" And I said, "Well, Dame's not making thirty million a year to be my friend, so basically, <laughs> stay out of their way." You know, it, it's it's weird to say because I make a living talking, but like be seen and not heard. You know, I don't want to get in anybody's way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, before these guys start asking you questions, uh, we're going to get to, we may as well just start off with the most important question of the entire evening here. Um, and that is who's better MJ or LeBron. And don't worry about you being in Cleveland. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Michael Jordan. And that's my opinion, right? So I'm, I'm 40. I'm, I'm an old guy. So I, I grew up with MJ, but I've also seen all of LeBron's career. Like I remember when he was in high school on the cover of Sports Illustrated, his second career game was at the Moda Center, then the Rose Garden, as we all know and love it. And he, I mean, he, he knew how to play the game, right? He's 18 years old and he comes out to the interview area 
and he's wearing a customized Oregon Ducks James 23 jersey and he knew what he was doing uh and and I don't care about any of this stuff off the court whatever you can call LeBron whatever you whatever you want to say on the court to me MJ was better right the 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 way he was able to get to the rim the killer instinct um yeah he had bad games he had bad games in the playoffs he wasn't perfect um but again we're, we're splitting hairs here talking about two of the greatest basketball players of all time right right is it an insult to either one of them to say the other's better no because they're both probably better than anybody who's ever played the game i didn't see kareem i didn't see bill russell i didn't see wilt chamberlain uh i didn't see those guys but for the guys that i've seen MJ's the the one guy that that I would take over anybody else, and I would put Kobe in the conversation with those two also. So oh, absolutely. How close have you been paying attention to Twitter lately with guys like JJ Redick, Arenas, Al Harrington, all uh, dogging on the '60s and '70s guys? Um, not too much, right? Because I know, like, look, th- those guys are all around my age and a little bit younger, right? Like. For me, I don't know what about what it's like for for you guys, but like I grew up on on sports history, like all kinds of sports, right? So whether it was hearing the legends of, you know, guys from years past, me growing up in New York, one of the legends I heard about was Willis Reed with his bum leg coming out to lead the Knicks to a championship. So to me as a kid, Willis Reed was like this larger than life figure. Uh, I grew up on stories from about Mickey Mantle, so much so that my youngest son's middle name is Mantle. Uh, you know, same thing with uh, with NFL and NHL guys too. And so to me, Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell, in, in a way, those guys are ghosts. They're these legendary players, even though, you know, Wilt Chamberlain's dead and, and uh, Bill Russell is still with us. Like the players that they were, were ghosts. And like Babe Ruth, right? I never saw him play. He might as well play right. time as, uh, you know, as, as Will Chamberlain, because long before I was born. So I don't have any firsthand knowledge. We could see all the highlights we want. It's like when you see the highlight film of like the freshman quarterback that's never played in college. Oh man, this guy's awesome. Oh really? You've only seen like four of his best plays or like three minutes worth of his best plays as a video because he wants to impress scouts. You don't see <laughs> he locks in on a receiver and throws an interception. So like, it's really hard. Like it's it's kind of an excuse and a cop out, but like it's it's really hard to put today's players when the game was so different uh, up against guys from from back then. Like, right? Okay, I, I know he's related to Danny Shays. It's uh, about really all I know about him. <laughs> Hall of Famer. I know he's on the list. It's about it. I couldn't really tell you much about his game. So, like, if those guys want to want to talk trash about the guys who played of yesteryear. In a way, it's offensive because you're talking poorly about the people who paved the way for you to have what you have. Like, NBA Finals games were on tape delay in the 80s. Like, it wasn't that long ago. That's in my lifetime that you couldn't watch the NBA Finals live. So if it wasn't for Jordan or, you know, Magic and Bird, you know, who knows when that would have eventually happened. Obviously, everything you can see live now. But I just, it's a very long-winded way of saying, I have no idea how to compare today's guys or the guys that I've seen in my lifetime, Allen Iverson to, you know, Walt Frazier. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. also you have to, the way that I look at it is if you're going to take the top 1% of athletes at any time, you have to assume that those top 1% of athletes are going to be able to translate to 
any era and adjust their game because I mean the mindset the physical tools and gifts are all there so I sometimes I just I just shake my head especially I mean Al Harrington was talking about Willis Reed dragging his leg up the court today like oh that's just brutal brutal <laughs> well so how, how is that any different than michael jordan's flu game right i mean it, it was a different era and, and to your point eric it, it's a really good point because well you know if, if that guy played in today's nba he wouldn't be able to keep up yeah well if that guy played in today's nba and he was on the aau circuits growing up exactly. and he trained and he's got the talent he's got the ability whoever it was you know you know oscar robertson right never saw him play either could he have not played in today's nba game no you would have played under today's rules and today's training under today's medical care and you would have translated just fine absolutely i think you hit it right on the head there um you mentioned you you grew up in new york yeah how in the world did you end up all the way over here in little old <laughs> portland oregon did you know anything <laughs> about portland before you you came over here yeah, a, a little bit because I'm such a sports nerd, right? So I knew about the Blazers, obviously, because I love the NBA. Um, I, I remember seeing the Joey Harrington billboards in Times Square when I was in college. Um, and I had a buddy who was my roommate, and he was all about Joey Harrington, just because you know, it was something different, right? Everybody mm -hmm. wants to pick a team that's different. New York doesn't have a college football team. Uh, but when I, I graduated college in 2003, and I was producing for ABC Sports Radio. And I was producing this thing called the ABC Sports Call. So what we did was basically gathered highlights and sound bites from everything and then sent it out to different stations across the country, right? So if, you, if you're listening to a station in Portland, like we use it still today at, uh, at iHeart at Rip City Radio, if we play a, a highlight of tonight's World Series game tomorrow, that's where we get it from. So my job was, I interned there for two semesters and then they hired me and I was putting together these, you know, uh, these sound packages to all the affiliates. I didn't want to be a producer. And I had different people telling me that if you want to be on the air, go find somewhere to be on the air. So I sent out all these tapes and resumes like all over the country. I have no idea how many, I, it was at least 50. It might've been closer to a hundred. And I applied for some jobs that like I had no business getting like the Auburn play-by-play -play job. Like, yeah, 20 <laughs> years old. Fresh out of college, they're gonna give me the, the Auburn play-by-play -play job. At least they wrote me a letter, which was nicer than most places. So my first job was doing high school football and basketball out on the coast. Uh, a guy named Matt Rickert, who does the hops in Portland State now, he hired me and I, I went out there to Astoria and he was calling the games on uh, KAST, doing the Astoria games. And he had me doing the other game on KSWB, which was Seaside or Warrington, Ilwaco, Napa, just these these small little towns. Did you ever call for Taft? What's that? Did you ever call for Taft? I did. I did. I called the Taft game. Uh, it, don't don't ask me why, but I called the Taft game on September twelfth, two thousand three. It was a Seaside Taft game, and I don't remember what exactly the score, but it was a high scoring game. The games were in the the points were in the forties, something like that. It was the only time I went out to Taft. Um, but I, I did call a game there, yeah. So that was my first year here. I was doing, that was 2003 into 04. I was doing high school basketball and high school football out on the coast. That's awesome. So you got your start here at the coast. Now, let's fast forward a bit to current days. Um, yes. Travis, you got some big shoes to fill. How do you approach taking over 
the radio play-by-play for an absolute legend? Uh, well, first of all, I got great advice from Bill Shonley. And he told me, he said, don't try and be me. Don't try and be wheels. Don't try and be anybody else. Just be you. Now, fortunately, you know, when I started filling in, uh, I did one preseason game in 2017, and then I did about half the season in 2018, 19. I've been doing play-by-play at that point for like 18 years. So it's not like I just showed up and this is the first time I'm calling games. Mm-hmm. So I had plenty of play-by-play experience and I knew that I could call play-by-play. But when you're doing high school games or I've done University of Portland stuff, I've done other college stuff, it's like you feel like you can do it at the highest level, but you don't know until you actually sit in that seat. And then you sit in that seat and you're like, holy, this is so much faster than anything else. How am I going to keep up? And that's what that first game is like, just just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've known Wheels a, a long, long time. The year that I was filling in for him, him and I talked often. And, you know, when he wasn't going to keep going, he told me, he's like, look, if, if I can't keep doing this job, I'm, I hope you're the guy who takes over for me. So there wasn't praise. Yeah, it, it was it was really cool to hear that from him. So there, there was no animosity. Um, the I had a lot of support from the Blazers organization, a lot of support from from Bill Shonley and, and my family, of course. And you know, there were a lot of fans who either didn't know who I was or were willing to accept me. There were also a lot of fans who's like, "This guy's not wheels. I'm I'm not listening to this guy." <laughs> yeah. And I think about it from that perspective. Growing up, I used to listen to the radio a lot. My parents would, wouldn't let me watch TV, so I'd turn on the radio. I'd listen to WFAN at night, so I'd listen to the Knicks games. And Marv Albert did a lot of the Knicks games. You know, Marv, mm-hmm. Marv, guy. Well, when he wasn't there, it just wasn't the same. You know, they had they had this other guy filling in, this guy Mike Green, and he was the the fill-in guy when when Marv Albert wasn't there. And at first, I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear Marv Albert, and we're talking about Mike Green, who's doing the NBA Finals on on ABC. <laughs> He's a big time broadcaster. I'm not saying I'm ever going to be at that level. Like this is, I'm, I'm where I want to be, but I understand what it's like to be in the fans seat, listening to the game and not hearing the familiar voice that you've heard for so long. Mm-hmm. And as a fan, I still listen to John Sterling, even though I'm not a big fan of some of his shtick. He's been calling the games since 1989. I was seven years old when he started doing the games. So when, when he retires and somebody else is doing it, it's, it's going to be weird and it's not going to sound right. So I get that from the fans perspective, but there've been a lot of people who've really been accepting of me and I've, I've just got to, got to be me. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I speak for all of us here when we say you're doing a great job. Um, Thank you. I, of course um, I got to ask like that, that whole fan perspective, do you get that? Because maybe from your time, being out here um, before you even got this role, um, did you become a Blazer fan? Absolutely. Prior? No, I, I, look, I, th- there are a couple of things with that. So I, I grew up with the Knicks, right? The, the 94 Knicks, I was 12 years old. They went to the finals and John Starks broke my heart because he was terrible in games. <laughs> 95, I'm 13 and Patrick Ewing goes up for the layup in yeah. game seven. I cried. And then I went out to my driveway, lowered my rim, and I tried to practice that shot. I was never going to be seven feet tall, but I, and I still have friends who send me, you know, memes of that play just randomly just to piss me off. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it, it, it is cool, right? And even like the, the first time that I I went to the Garden as a broadcaster, 
there's nobody out on the floor. And I walked out on the floor. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is where Ewing missed that shot. <laughs> anyway, so I, I loved the Knicks kit. But the way I explain it is like, just because there was a girl who was your first love doesn't mean you marry her, right? So my wife, now I'm 40 years old. I've known my wife for five years. She wasn't my first love, but she's the love I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And that's how I look at it with, with the Blazers. They weren't my first love. But I, fall, I started following the Knicks. I was probably nine years old. I moved out here when I was 21. So I had 12 years of being a, a Knicks fan. I've been out here for 18 years. So I've been here long enough to be a Trailblazers fan. Like, and I don't know if you can hear it in the calls or not, but I, I feel it with the fans when they win and when they lose. And even though I've only been working for the team for four years, I've been in the locker room for 18. And I've been you know, at almost every single home game for 18 years. So when you're there, not everybody works that way, but me, like I can't be around something and that long and not like Become not having a yeah, there's a total emotional mm -hmm. attack with the trailblazer. It wasn't like born and bred into me. I've I've been here a long time and I, I love the trailblazers. Yeah, well, Travis, I was actually kind of wondering, you know, you grew up a Knicks fan. Was yeah. there a, like a game, a player interaction, a moment that you had with the Blazers that made you kind of fall in love that you could kind of put a timestamp like, yeah, this was the moment? Oh, man, the moment. So when I got here, my first year here was the, the year that broke the Blazers streak of making the playoffs for, for 22 years, right? So the first few years that I was here, uh, they weren't very good. Right, so there was a lot more access than than you would usually get, but the, the the moment that was like, it was really early on. So, 2003, uh, it was one of my first preseason games, and I was in a working capacity. My job was to go stick a microphone in the in the scrum with everybody and and get audio. It was like a week before my my 22nd birthday, and I go in the locker room. I didn't know where I was going, and the only people in the locker room were me and Rashid Wallace and the Yankees Marlins World Series was on. And he's watching the TV and I'm watching the TV and I'm a Yankees fan. I was in you know New York just a few months before that. And I watch Alex Gonzalez hit a walk off home run in the 11th inning off of Jeff Weaver. And like Rashid and me, I, he'll never remember it, but Rashid and me kind of like shared this moment because I was there and it was a big deal to me. That was the first connection that I had with a player. He probably didn't care at the time. He'll probably never remember it, but that was like the first time that I had a connection with a player. So I became a Rasheed Wallace fan. Well, he was traded a few months later. He was traded in February that year. So it was a, a really small window of that. But, you know, just being here and going to the games in person, and while I was a Knicks fan, I didn't go to a ton of games. Tickets were expensive. It was it was tough to get into the garden. Right. Nets games too, because they were cheap and it was easy to get in there because the Nets weren't very good. Uh, <laughs> So it was it was pretty right away that I, I kind of fell for the Blazers because I was there. I think I only missed three or four games that first year. Do you have a like a favorite moment, like calling games for the Blazers? Favorite moment, man, there's a couple. So that four overtime game against Denver in the yeah, that's a good that, one. That game just would not end. It was <laughs> that was so the, the year that I was filling in for wheels. I did all the games home and away until Thanksgiving. Then he came back to do home games. And then after the Oklahoma City series, 
he he couldn't continue. So I did the entire Denver series. So that game, game three, was the first home game that I had called since November. So like I'd done all these road games and I was used to being around the, the road fans and being uh, calling games with the visiting crowd behind me. So there was this different energy for me being in the building, calling a game at home, and then just back and forth and back and forth. And it looks like the that Denver's gonna win and the Blazers force a turnover and tie it and they get to another overtime and Rodney Hood comes in and hits incredible shots. Like, I'll never call another game like that as long as I live. That was, that was incredible. I mean, that was- Talk that about was a welcome fun. back game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, watching Kevin Durant miss a buzzer beater that same year in uh, at, at Golden State, that was fun. It was fun watching KD miss that <laughs> on the other end. Uh, Pilot on. Mello's buzzer beater in Toronto was pretty cool. And while I wasn't there, because we weren't traveling last year, the, the the game at Chicago last year, where Gary Trent Jr. forced the jump ball, they get it, and Dame hits the three, that was, that was awesome. I wish I could have been in that building. So what's that like? What was that like for you during the pandemic to call games remotely? It was weird because... Like, I don't know about you guys, but I know a lot of people in, in of, of my age, like we do our own play-by-play while playing video games. You know, whether it was NBA Jam, whatever it was, you know, we, we would do the play-by-play. So like, it was kind of like that, right? And I would practice when I was younger, like in my early twenties of, you know, calling games off of the TV. So that wasn't that big of a deal. Like the actual action itself wasn't that big of a deal, but there were so many things that happened off camera that you don't see and you don't realize until you're not there or there's a replay covering something up or you know the the ball is off camera and a foul happens in the backcourt but the camera's already showing the front court and you have no idea what happens sometimes if there's a whistle and it happens away from the ball and i'm looking at the ball i'll quickly look to the official to see what the call was so i know what the foul was and who it was on on tv you don't always get that so there were just little things that i missed and then the energy, like you guys have been in Moda Center, when it's loud, you can literally feel in the floor how loud that place is. Mm-hmm. So in my ears, it didn't really sound any different because we were getting crowd noise. So like having energy, I didn't feel like I had to manufacture it, but it just wasn't the same. There was energy, it just wasn't that same level of having you know, 19, 20,000 people just going crazy and having the lights and you know having the dancers on the floor and you know people throwing stuff into the crowd, like t-shirts and stuff like that all of that stuff wasn't there for the home games right that was the that was the home games and then the road games literally myself michael holton and jay allen we would call the games from our regular spot in the bowl and we were the only people in the entire bowl so brooke olsendam who's on the other side of the arena on the concourse doing her pre and post game show stuff she could hear us sometimes oh, it was just it, it was just weird it was it was eerie we got used to it and then that first game back when there were like 2,000 fans, it felt like there was 18,000 right. was mm-hmm. here. And now it just feels kind of back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask, uh, how much interaction do you have with Lamar Hurd and Kevin Calabro? Pretty good amount. Uh, is, is, is there kind of like a – I imagine – I ask because I imagine there's some kind of like sibling rivalry going on there. No, no, there is. I got to call a game on radio during the bowl. Uh, Michael Holton wasn't available for the playing game against Memphis. 
and it was a national broadcast, so TV didn't have broadcast. So Lamar did that game with me. I love Lamar. Lamar is awesome. He's a fun dude. He's positive. I love being around Lamar. And Kevin is a guy that I grew up listening to because he did a lot of national stuff. So for me, like I'll ask Kevin stuff about the 90s and the 80s. And I feel like an annoying kid sometimes around him because long but it's like hey you know that, that that chris farley bit from saturday night live it's like hey kevin remember remember when this happened you know <laughs> stuff like that like he, he's so cool those guys are awesome and like on the road uh we have dinner around the same time so i'll usually sit with those guys last night in philadelphia and you know I'll just kind of pick their brain or talk to them about whatever and now kevin and lamar are, are awesome I, I love those guys that's great i i definitely thought there'd be some some kind of rivalry or something you know they're on tv you're on the radio <laughs> and no, kevin no, kind of we're all we're all in the same kevin kind of seems like a like a prankster is he a prankster yeah i, I kind of get that from <laughs> there was one time a couple of years ago we were in houston uh we were having dinner at some mexican restaurant there and somebody told uh the the wait staff there that it was his birthday and his birthday's in june and this was i don't know <laughs> basketball season and so they came out with a little cake and they're all singing to him. And he just totally went along with it. He's like, yeah, birthday. Yeah. Some other people would be like, oh my God, get this away from me. It's not my birthday. But he was all into it. It was, it was pretty awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so aside from the radio play-by-play, you host a, a radio show with Chad Dewey. Um, yeah. We, we were all kind of talking about it before you came on, but where does he rank as far as, you know, your favorite co-workers oh he's right up there i mean so just I've, just know he probably listens to this show that's fine i hope he does <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything here that i wouldn't say to him because there's stuff that i say to him and on the air that you would think why is he saying that to him like <laughs> we, have, we have a really good relationship dad and i are friends like we've, we've taken trips together and stuff we've gone to like the army navy game we went we went to a uh, uh broncos giants game in denver one year uh, we've spent time together on the road for Backfield Media Day and stuff. Like, Chad and I are, are good friends. Uh, so we have the kind of relationship where we can give each other crap. But the one thing about Chad is he works really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Like, he really cares about what he does. And I've worked with some people that just kind of show up and go through the motions. He's not like that. We get into arguments sometimes. It's infrequent, but it happens. When we're planning out the show, but it's just because we both care so much about what we're doing mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Cause it's, it's always quick and we always kind of get over it, you know, like that. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad we have that kind of relationship because you don't hold anything back. Like if he thinks that I have a dumb topic idea, he'll tell me and he'll say it just like that. He's like, I, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I don't, I don't have a take on that, but then sometimes we'll talk it out and he finds that he does have a take on that. And then we end up talking about that on the show. Sometimes he doesn't, and we don't talk about it and, and vice versa. Um, but I've, I've worked with some awesome people. I, I love working with Michael Holton. Uh, he's terrific. He's taught me so much about basketball and off the floor too. I've done a lot of work, you know, calling it with Jim Wilson. And that dude is as prepared as anybody that I've ever worked with. But Chad's great. And this, this setup that we have where I don't do the show when I'm on the road uh, or on game days, he has no problem covering. The last couple of weeks, uh, I've my, my voice has been rough. Like I couldn't make it through a couple of the games. I, I pushed through and did it. But you know, Chad would tell me, "Don't come in and do the show tomorrow." I got it because he cares and he knows that 
you know, my voice is my lifeline, just like his. And, you know, I would do the same for him. So I, I love working with Chad. I know some of the things that he says, people don't quite understand and it might rub people the wrong way, but I, I know for 100% certainty, the only thing he cares about with the Trailblazers is winning a championship, period. Anything short of that is not good enough for him. And he, he cares, he cares about the team and he cares about people and he works hard. I, I can't ask for more. Yeah, I, I get that vibe too. Sorry, Eric. Uh, I know you had some something to say, but you know, before we get uh, to you, the one thing I wanted to say about Chad is that a lot of times when I'm listening to him, I don't agree with him. But at the same time, I kind of respect him just because you know he puts in the effort. You know he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. It's just you know it's, it's a matter of differing opinions. So that that's really cool to hear what you had to say about that. Yeah, we, we disagree on a lot of stuff. Sometimes he, he's proven right, and sometimes I'm proven right. Sometimes we're both wrong. Um, but we, we have to agree, and that's that's what I like about that. We don't have to walk around uh, walk around on eggshells with mm-hmm. each other. Go, go ahead, Eric. So I know you like working with him. Yeah. I know you probably see yourself at... at bare minimum and equal if not fairly superior (laughs) (laughs) i have to know though is there any animosity with the fact that this guy is twitter verified and you (laughs) are not all right so there's a two-part question there uh in terms of you know being superior so when when chad came to portland so the, the way the way the radio structure works is like okay so there's there's the, the regional president and then there's the market president. The market president oversees all of the stations in the building. And at iHeart, we have eight, nine stations. And then there's a program director. A lot of times the program director oversees one station. In our case, it's, it's more than one. And then just below that is the assistant program director. Before Chad got hired, I was the assistant program director. <laughs> and I was told that we're gonna find you a co-host. So uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want you to hire somebody that I don't want to work with. And I found out that Chad had become available. So I called Chad, I'm like, hey, you want to come up here and work with me? And it worked out. So there the was man. a period of time there when I was Chad's boss. When I, the Blazers gig, I had to give up those responsibilities. Well, guess who they went to? They went to Chad, <laughs> at my boss. So you want to talk about superiority, uh, he's over me because he's <laughs> well, he's the man you know, now. He's management, <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So there, if, if anything, that's on him. Uh, so it, with with the verification, like, so a few years ago, we both applied for the verification at the same time. He got it. Cool. I didn't. It wasn't that big of a deal to me. I didn't, I didn't really care. And then uh, over the summer, when the the verification process came back, my boss with Blazer said, "Look, you, you probably need to be verified. So why don't you go ahead and." and start that process. Nope. Okay, let's try it again. No. Uh, one more time. Nope. Uh, how about a fourth time? No. So I'm over four. If you count the one a few years ago, now I'm over five. And look, Chad's got probably twice as many followers as I do. Uh, and what he says to me is like, look, you're, you're the voice of the Blazers. You don't need verification, right? But is there something that's a little, uh, you know, it strokes the ego a little bit when you've got that. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. But I'm also not the only NBA radio play-by-play guy who doesn't have a blue check mark. Uh, I think there, there are at least a few others. 
even you know, Mark Boyle has been doing the Pacers for like 30 years. He can't get one either. So that, that makes me feel a little bit better when it comes to Chad. Like, I'm not saying he's not deserving of his checkmark because he absolutely is. But come on, Twitter, give me a hand. <laughs> <laughs> a real human being anywhere, you know? Hold for, you know, trying to get car insurance. You just sit on hold for like five minutes. You don't even have that option with Twitter. You tweet at Verify, they've got 4 million followers and people tweeting at them every day. They're not gonna respond to, everything, to anything. So when I have people on Twitter that tweet at, at Verify, we need to get this man verified. That's really cool, but it's a waste of time because they're not gonna pay any attention. If I don't have <laughs> checks, and like one of the checks is that you have to have like uh, within the last six months, either articles written about you or by you, there's nothing to write about me, right? <laughs> I don't have anything to write, so no no blue check mark for now, and I'll, I'll have to live with that. Well, we're tight with Aaron Fentress. We'll get one of those articles written for you. <laughs> there you go. We got it. Don't even you worry sure, about that. You sure that's a good idea? <laughs> I'm looking at this, though. Uh, 6,886 people care what you say on a daily basis. No, 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 no. Okay. So, like, b- before I got this job, I had, like, 4,000 followers. You know what got me more followers? Like, 2,000 more followers over the last couple of years? Anytime that I say, hey, I'm giving away free tickets. Yeah. <laughs> followers number just go. So I, if it wasn't for that, I'd probably have like four. You know, I, I. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I do it is to get more followers. Just total uh, transparency here. Just self-serving. Because like, I know people are going to hit follow, 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 free tickets, follow. So well, don't you, keep don't you get a, a check mark? Don't you get verified if you have a certain number of followers too? No, because oh, I've seen people I thought that was 100,000 followers that aren't Dang, verified. That's and crazy. I've seen people that have like 800 followers that are verified. That's crazy. Yeah. See, I, I was going to say, how come Chad hasn't come out with a follow train for, for his buddy Travis? That's messed up. The NBA is back. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game. And if you do, you win $200 in free bets. So why not make your roster Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, Nasir Little, Rocco, and of course, the Bosnian Beast. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's not gonna do anything. Verify <laughs> doesn't care. It's that LeBron Mello relationship. All talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? So, <clears throat> when you're calling the games, yeah, getting getting back on track here. When you're calling the games, are you actually able to take in what's going on and actually analyze the game, or are you just kind of stuck in work mode? Yes and no. Sometimes I can, right? Because my, my job is to follow the ball, mm-hmm. right? I need the ball always. Um, and Michael will, you know, my job is to tell you what happens. Michael's job is to tell you why. 
but now there, there's plenty of things that I pick up, you know, because the view we have is great. Um, I don't know if this was something you were going to ask, but there are very few arenas that were actually on the floor. Radio isn't on the floor pretty much anywhere anymore because they sell those seats. Mm -hmm. I like being where we are better because I can see the whole floor. Mm -hmm. When you're on, when you're courtside, you're being blocked by a referee, by a coach, by a player in front of you. There was a, a game-winning shot by Mo Harkless. Uh, against the Lakers a few years ago. And I was sitting courtside that game. I never saw the shot. Oof. So uh, I'm I'm trying to see, because I'm, I'm sitting here on one free throw line and the action's happening over there in that far corner. And there's all this stuff blocking me. And because the cameras are on the other side, I'm watching the action go like this, but on my monitor, the action's going like this. So it's backwards. Mm. I'm going like this, because I hadn't really sat courtside more than once or twice. and. All I saw was the ball go up in the air. And by like process of elimination of who I could see, I knew that Harkless took the shot and I felt like I blew the call. It didn't sound very good because I didn't see what happened. Mm -hmm. So I like where we're at. And there are things that I can pick up. I can pick up on the defenses in its own. Um, I can see there are times where you can clearly see where I'm sitting when someone gets lost behind the defense or when there's a run out and somebody gets a rebound and they don't see you know, somebody streaking down the floor. Um, but, you know, and sometimes when there's, uh, when the ball rotates this way and all the defenders go that way, like I can I can tell, like I know that it's gonna rotate back around to this side and someone's gonna get an open three. Mm -hmm. uh, just somebody else can't watch the game. So sometimes, yeah, I can pick up on that stuff, but I, I try and I try and watch the ball first. And if I can pick up other things, great. But if not, I don't wanna lose track of where the ball is. Okay. Uh, so this is then we're gonna test you a little bit here because this is the part where we're gonna start asking you about the team and, and what you see. Do so it. this season, yeah, uh, we're curious because you know there's a it feels like there's a lot of turmoil right now if you're pay, paying attention to social media and whatnot. But how how are you seeing the team right now? Like, are they in a situation where they just have no idea what's going on, or are they like are we still the same team that we were last year, or are they in a situation where maybe they're still learning and trying to stay within the system that Chauncey's brought to the team? I think it's a big learning curve. And I don't know how many games it's going to take, 15, 20, whatever it is. But in the Phoenix game, second game of the season, it looked like they did everything right. Then they go to LA. And it's like, what, what happened? Like, where, where is the team that I saw the other night? And then they looked really good against Memphis on the first half against the Clippers. And then LA made it a four point game. And then all of a sudden the Blazers looked like that team that we saw in those other games. First half against Charlotte looked great. They never really gotten any kind of a rhythm uh, against Philly last night. So what I see is a coaching staff and it's it's not just Chauncey, right? We hear so much about, well, Chauncey this and Chauncey that, all the things that Chauncey wants to do. This is Chauncey's first time being a head coach. So while there are a lot of things about him that are really important about what this team is doing the coaching staff really plays a huge part in this, mm -hmm. right because roy rogers coming in as the defensive coordinator i watched the first two days of, of training camp practice i watched the entire thing roy rogers was the one out there working on the defense with the players and then chauncey would stop things when he saw something he didn't like and say okay we need to do this this and this here but it was roy rogers who was the one who was getting the ball rolling with where they were supposed to be and what these different formations and schemes and everything looked like. And it's it's a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. I've seen in years past and the things that they were doing in training camp 
were very different than what happened in, in years past, things that they were working on defensively. And in those practices, whatever the drill was that they were doing, they did it until they got it right. And it didn't matter how many times they did it. It's like, no, we are going to get this right because this is important, right? It wasn't, well, that, that's good enough. No, no, this is gonna be right. We're not gonna get to anything else until we, we get this right. There was one drill where they had to make X number of three pointers and X number of time they were one short. Guess what? Got to do it again. <laughs> and that takes a lot out of you. <clears throat> so it's also about, you know, conditioning and things like that. And it's, it's not a knock on Terry Stotts. I think there were a lot of things that Terry Stotts did that, that I liked, but you know, that was more of a, our offense is so good. We're going to rely on that to win games mm-hmm. and to do that at times when the offense wasn't working right. You know, the, the game against Memphis, offense wasn't great that night, but the defense was. And I think there's going right. to be times where it slips and they're they're thinking too much at times. Now, I could be off on that, but from what I see, there's more thinking than reacting and having it be second nature. You know, whatever it does, like the first time you drove a car, right? Maybe you're in the car with your mom or dad, and like my mom was like pushing on the pretend brake and I'm, you know, looking around and, you know, trying not to screw up. Now I just drive. And I think it's kind of similar to that. Like at some point, whatever it is that you're doing becomes second nature and they're learning different things and trying to execute different things. And it's not second nature yet. And I think when it does become second nature, they're gonna be a really good defensive team. And there are also some things offensively that they're trying to figure out. And one of the things that I've seen that I really like from this team offensively is they don't settle. Sometimes they do, not because they never, but the plan is to not settle for bad contested three pointers. Mm-hmm. They've done in the last few years. And Dane made a lot of those the last few years. But now at times, sometimes they're almost too passive in making the extra pass. And that's where some of those turnovers come. Mm-hmm. They try and get it into the paint and they force the ball and then the other team will get a run out and get you know points off of turnovers and fast break and things like that but they're trying to train themselves from again this is just what i see nobody's told me this from taking contested threes double team not knowing where to go with the ball things like that to making sure you rotate the ball to the corners get corner threes get open looks work inside out uh pick and rolls obviously they still do quite a bit of that and try and get nerf involved on both ends of the floor so they're just different things that they're doing and that takes time considering they had a week of training camp four preseason games that the starters together played 18 minutes in and then you don't get to practice much when you're traveling and you don't have many days off Mm -hmm. so if this was you know like olden days right you know with those guys we were, we were talking about before <laughs> you had a month of training camp and you played in preseason games because everybody was out of shape you had time to work out all those things you don't have that time anymore guys come into camp ready to go it's not about getting in shape like it's like it used to be so when when you talk about and you hear so much about okay well this team has continuity coming back from last year like utah last year they got off to that really hot start they have so much continuity. There's only one rotation player who was not in the rotation last year. And they've got the same coach and same coaching staff. It really does make a difference because you don't have to think, you just do. Mm-hmm. So you have to think and you don't just do. 
it prevents you from doing to the level and executing to the level that you want to. And they're not there. And I don't think anybody on the team, coaching staff, players, anybody would tell you that they are there. Mm -hmm. They're way, but when they get there, I think it's going to look really good. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised by people. Sorry. No, go I was just going to say, I think we're all hoping for the same thing. And I, I think, yeah. you know, a lot of what we're seeing on social media right now is just the impatience, you know, the, they, I, I, feel well, like, I haven't noticed that. Not at all. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you get a new coach, you get a, a few new players and all of a sudden you're supposed to be this championship contender right out of the gates. And that's, I mean, yeah. the, the fact of the matter is it just doesn't work like that. It, it never really has. Right. Well, I mean, oh. you're, Go ahead, one Eric. of the things too is you have a group of people, uh, and they're loud. It's a loud contingent of Twitter people, Twitter peeps, tweeps, whatever, <laughs> you know, that are willing to just come down with the hammer after seven games on a team yeah. that, I mean, most of these guys, most of these core guys have only had one coach, the majority of their careers or their entire careers. If you're talking yeah. about our top two guys. And we're seven games into a new system. We're seven games in to the first season under a new coach in nine years. And people are ready to just throw this team out the window. I personally said, I'm not saying anything until Christmas. Like, I'm giving them until yeah. Christmas. Let's let them figure it out, iron it out, you know. But these people are, it's just surprising to me that they're not willing to be a little bit more patient with a group of guys, especially with Damian Lillard at the helm. I mean, yeah. I realize that he's in a slump, but at the same time, like, the body of work says this is this is going to phase out at some point. Well, and yeah, you know, you know, what was that? Go, well, I was go gonna, ahead. And you got to re remember that you know, for nine years, Dame was used to pounding the rock to get into a rhythm, and now that's not the case. Now, now the yeah. the strategy is completely different. I, I didn't mean to. Cut I you had to throw. Travis. No, no, no. You're you're fine, and there there's a reason for that, right? Like we hear so much about rest and load management and stuff like that, and Look, there is a way to rest without taking games off. And part of that is not being on the ball 100% of the time, playing minutes that are easier on your body and easier on your condition. And we saw it a little bit last year, right? Because there were times when Rodney Hood was still here where he would take the ball up or Carmelo Anthony would. There are plenty of times where Dane is playing off the ball now and his minutes are down, you know, a few minutes a game. But if you take three, four minutes a night off of his game. Same thing with CJ too. It's not just about mm -hmm. Dane. And yeah, they're both about 32 minutes right now. Yeah, yeah, they're right in that ballpark. So you take some of those minutes off and you the minutes aren't as hard on their bodies. Well, now there's less of a reason to have a rest night. And maybe they will have a rest night at some point. But the whole key here is when you get to the end of the season, when you get to the playoffs, making sure that your team isn't gassed mm -hmm. and more depth in the backcourt. Anthony has been great this year. CJ's off yeah. to a start. You have Dennis Smith Jr. there if you need him and he's getting some playing time. So you don't have to have Damian Lillard be the point guard. And he, he's still putting up eight plus assists a night. You know, it's not like he's, he's not distributing and you have more guys around him that can shoot. He doesn't have to take 25 shots, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, Norman Powell was the leading scorer last night with 22. CJ had 20. So it's it's about the, the the wear and tear in game too, not just taking nights off. But Eric, to your point about people freaking out, like that's what fans do, you know, like <laughs> that. That's nothing new. 
the difference is now that anybody can say it and everybody can hear it. Yeah. Like, but before, you know, before we had social media, before we had cell phones, I don't want to be that guy, but like, it, it wasn't always that. The fans were always angry. Like, if you've noticed on talk radio now, like, there's not a lot of callers on talk radio. Growing up, it's all it was was callers. Mm-hmm. I used to wait hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. I call thing. at the beginning of the show before you guys even open the lines. I'm like, I'm just waiting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it, it's exactly what it was like. And you wait on hold for a long, long time. Sometimes you wouldn't get through because that's where people voiced their opinions. And they weren't any different. There's just a different way to hear them now. So fans are just as impatient. And I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people who says, well, if if you think they suck, then, then you don't know what you're talking about. Well, of course, fans don't know what they're talking about to the level that the players and coaches and, you know, broadcasters, because I see every single thing that happens. Fans don't, and they don't see what's going on behind the scenes. So when you see, when, when people see something and they freak out about it, and I see them like, that's not that big of a deal because I know why this is happening there. With the information that people have, I understand why some people freak out about it. At the same time, though, you're right. We're talking about seven games into a season with new coaching staff and trying different things. And I saw one person on Twitter today was like, this team sucks. I can't watch anymore. <laughs> like, they, are you seriously? Like, you know, a little bit of time before you jump off the ship. Yeah, I had to, I had to just like throw my phone in the air. Like I'm done with NBA Twitter after I read like people saying Westbrook is a better shooter than Dame Lillard. I was like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> just after seven games, like, please, what are we doing yeah. here? But, but Travis, so, well, I want, you, I wanted you, to you ask you the, the worst three point percentage in the NBA last year of anybody who took at least at least fifty threes. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yes, and Amen. none of us here are surprised. Nope. No. That that isn't yeah. We all could have guessed that one. But Travis, I actually want you named like a whole bunch of like supporting players. I wanted to know before the season started, did you have like a breakout player prediction for this year? Not really. Um, but the the piece that Jason Quick uh put out where he was talking about, you know, what Neil O'Shea says and and every year there's somebody that Neil O'Shea talked about. One year was Gary Trent Jr. and he was awesome. One year it was uh, Jake Lehman, and he had a terrific year. And this year it was Nasir Little. I really wanted to see what Nas could do, and I really wanted to see what Anthony Simons could do. And so far, the early returns are great. Uh, for Little, he has so much energy, and he always has. And sometimes his body moved a little bit too fast, and he would make mistakes, or he would turn the ball over, or overrun a rebound, or miss time a jump, or things like that. And it looks like things have settled down for him. And he's hitting threes. When he was drafted, people were melting down because we just drafted a guy who can't hit a three-pointer. Well, we're also talking about a guy who played one year of college basketball. and Barely one year, too. Barely a year of college basketball. So his his three has become reliable, right? And I think he's hitting around 40%. I haven't finished my prep for tomorrow yet, but I think he's hitting around 40%. So if he can be that energy three and D guy off the bench and play 18 to 20, 22 minutes or, or, you know, start when... Norman Powell is out or if Dame or CJ sit out and Powell slides in one of the other guard spots and you can rely on Nasir Little. I think that's such a, a critical spot because when, when we talk about trades and people talk about trades, well, the Blazers need to go get a three and D wing. Well, you, you got one. If that's what yeah. it can be. And we talk about, okay, well, if we move this guy, or we move that guy, what type of player are we going to get? Nasir can fill that position He's long enough. He's athletic enough. 
if he can shoot and play defense, that's one less thing that Neil O'Shea has to worry about come trade deadline. So I am of the mind that this roster is far more balanced than people on social media mm-hmm. are giving it credit for. Do you do you share that sentiment? Yeah, for the most part, I, I do. I mean, the, the one thing that you can't deny is height, right? So height and length. But you have height and length coming off the bench, right? If you have Nasir Little, uh, Larry Nance Jr., Cody Zeller, you know, there is, there is some length there. What I, what I like to see somebody else that has some length that can be in the rotation yeah probably but then again you also have tony snell and we saw tony snell for the first time last night Mm -hmm. i have Mm -hmm. no idea who tony snell is going to be as a trailblazer i mean honestly i have not watched a lot of tony snell in in his career like i don't i don't know how many blazers fans have so when he comes in he's he's kind of an unknown how many people ripped the the cody zeller signing because oh look at this three of us Oh, well, no, 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 Eric, Whoa. Eric, Eric complimented Cody Zeller. Let's give what, him credit here. <laughs> no, the big handsome was the one knock I had on him. I told you guys. You're just mad that he took your in, nickname, man. I, all I'm, all I said about Cody Zeller was you guys are going to be surprised. The guy sets amazing picks. He moves his feet from left to right and he can pass. And that was a leg up for me. That was that was yeah. two legs up for me on Ennis Cantor. Oh yeah, and he's given Look, Eric a run for his money for shots to the face. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Cummings My goodness. in that mix, man. But like the, the thing about Zeller, like I really didn't know what to think about him. I watched. I, I used to be huge into college basketball, mm-hmm. so I a lot of Cody Zeller in, in in college at Indiana. I don't have much time. I don't really watch much of it anymore. Um, but I just didn't really know who he was as an NBA player. Now you're talking about a guy who was a lottery pick played eight years with one team and now he's signing for the veteran minimum like am, am i missing something here is this not the guy that i thought he was and he is not a starter in the nba but if he's your backup center i like it i like it a lot because yeah like, there's a reason that guy gets hurt because he puts everything that he has out there and he's become a fan favorite seven games in so like the, these ideas that we have i have no idea what what tony snell is against mm-hmm. so if you have Snell, you have Little, you have Nance, you have Zeller, some length coming off the bench, and that group defensively has looked really good. You have a, a solid guard rotation of Dame and CJ. I still count Powell as a guard, even though he's playing small forward. And for Simons, you have Dennis Smith Jr., who is still a really young player. I think there's a lot to work with, right? The Blazers don't have a first round pick next year. And I asked, I asked Neil Jay about that. And I said, so look, if, if you don't have a first round pick next year, does that make it more difficult to execute a trade with a first round pick in the future? He said, if we want to figure out a way to do it, we'll figure out a way to do it within the confines of, of the rules. So if they want to trade something and attach a first round pick, they do have that ability. I don't know all the details about how that would work, but it, it is a possibility, so you can add that in there. And what, what I see is, and, and I don't think that, I don't think Dame and CJ are, are the same guy. Uh, I don't think, you know, with, with Nance and, and with uh, Snell and Little, that they're the same guy. There are some similar things that, that those guys all do, but they all bring different things. So when the trade deadline rolls around, I feel like Neil Shea has more flexibility than people want to give him credit for. And it's not that I'm saying you got to give him credit for the deals that he's done. Forget about everything that's happened up to this point, right? All I care about is what's happening next. 
is there somebody in that rotation who is expendable? And I don't mean that as a knock on whoever that is, because whatever you're giving up, you've got to get something back that you need. And there are some some things that this team needs. So I don't know who it is that is would be traded or is going to be traded because every year it seems like he makes some kind of deal. Powell last year, Rodney Hood a few years ago picked up Yusuf Nurkic. Not year, well, he did pick up Nurk in a trade, but picked up Ennis Cantor off the, uh, the buyout market, which they have more money than anybody else to use in the buyout market this year with the mid-level exception. I think they still have about $4 million left of that. There is a ton of flexibility that Neil has to change and mold the roster at the trade deadline. And when I, I hear fans today talk about, we need to trade this guy now. Why? <laughs> I wouldn't trade anybody right now. Because you don't know what this team is right now. You know right. what the players are, but what does this team look like in this system? And it's going to take some time. Maybe it's 10 games, maybe it's 20, I don't know. But if it was me running the ship, I wouldn't make a deal until I know what I have. Mm-hmm. And I don't think what they have right now in this system. Maybe one of the pieces fits really well that you didn't think would. Maybe somebody doesn't fit that you thought would fit really well. And now that's Neil O'Shea and the front office's job to look at what you have within the confines of this system and figure out what's going to make it better. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about that Hornets game. Yeah. Uh, So for those fans out there who didn't catch the games, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Blazers lost to the Hornets 125 to 113. (laughs) Uh, that was definitely a spoiler. Yeah. Definitely. Nobody, they don't have a pocket-sized computer. Just saying, you know, some people, worry some about people it, DVR, maybe they're not home for a few days. Who knows? But, uh, you know, just looking at the game stats, I mean, it was it was an interesting game for Dame. He only ended up with 14 points. Uh, he did have 12 assists, um, but he shot two for 14 from three, which is unlike Dame, but not unlike Dame to start this season, it seems. Um, what did what did you get from from watching his performance that game, Travis? Is there could you see something that may have been bothering him, or is it just kind of just him again going back to trying to stay within the confines of the system? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really easy to look at Dame and, and say any number of different things. Well, He's clearly not himself, really, because when they were winning, you know, a few games ago, he, he looked just fine. Um, you could say, well, he's he's not the guy that he used to be yet because he all of a sudden overnight, you know, isn't as good. He had a long summer, right? You know, he, he got married, sure. got some young kids at home. Oh, yeah, he, he played in the Olympics, which he hasn't done before. So maybe there's a little bit of fatigue there. Uh, he'll never say it. And I don't know if that's the case, but... You know, I'm sure there is at least something to that. And then you're running a whole different system offensively. And there are some elements of things that we saw in the past. But I think also with Dame, he's not immune to a learning curve. So I think that's part of it, too, that yeah, we know he can shoot. And some of those shots are, are just close. Now, hell, maybe maybe Paul George was right. Maybe it's the new ball. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm not worried about it. Again, I think it's just, it's something where it, it, it takes time and, and you see it in every sport. Like does Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden suck now because he's throwing so many interceptions? No, you, you give credit to the other team sometimes because they know who he is and they know how to game plan. 
sometimes there are there are things that happen on the floor that just don't go your way and then all of those other factors together i think it's just led to a slow start for me. i'm i wouldn't be worried about it at all if we're looking at you know january and he's still shooting 20 percent from three then i then i think there might be something to to think about there but i don't anticipate that being an issue and i'm i'm not worried about it yeah what what I've about you guys? chatter that pe- uh, I saw some chatter today that they said that, you know, like, uh, Dame isn't used to playing off the ball. He can't, he's not a good guy if he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he's dictating tempo. And I kind of laughed because it's like people have some kind of memory, like long-term memory loss. Cause the first three years that he was here, he played alongside Nicholas Batum who handled that ball probably 30, 40% of the time. And Dame was a very effective player. And that's when we all fell in love with Damian Lillard yeah. before he became the guy. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, and if you look at the shots that he's taking, those are quality shots and those are shots that typically are going to drop, you know, none of them, he's not hitting the side of the backboard. They're not all long. They're not all over the place. Those are, he's a shooter and those are going to drop as he becomes comfortable. I think I speak for pretty much all of us here. We're not worried. We're not worried (laughs) about Dame. Like, let's be real guys. Like I know he's, he's having probably the worst shooting slump in his career, right? Yeah. Over this stretch of games. I don't know what the stats are exactly, but I know that it's probably the worst he's ever done. But I think I missed it. Did did Paul George complain about the ball? Mm-hmm. Saying yeah. that it was difficult to shoot. If anything, it's helping him. It's been I know great really. lately. Well, I, I think that's the thing is that, you know, and I'm pulling up the stats right now. Um, I think what's what's interesting about that is you have somebody who is shooting forty plus percent from three and he's complaining about the ball. It's not someone who's saying Look, uh, I'm not playing well because this sucks. He's like, I'm. It's it's an adjustment, and he's playing well, and I, I think that's that's a different uh, a different take on it because it would be really right. easy someone who wasn't playing well was having an issue with it. I'm just looking at the I don't know my glasses on. That's pretty interesting. I'm I'm old here, so hold on. <laughs> uh, hey, we're we're not far behind then. <laughs> uh, Dame, I'm two years behind you. I'm I'm, I'm old. Well, you don't you don't look it. Uh, let's see. Dame is shooting 23% from three. He's 15 of 65. Yeah, that's not good, right? No, it's not. Uh, again, like if this cold streak was happening in January we wouldn't be that concerned about it because there was a body of work before that before the season i hope this is a small sample size but we'll we'll see yeah and and you got to remember dame got off to a, a slow start last season too and he turned it around just yeah. fine like they, i don't think there's anything to worry about it or to worry about but you know it uh it, it definitely um causes you to question some things i guess uh some people uh but Moving on, uh, CJ ended up with 25 points and, and eight assists that game. Powell yeah. chimed in with 14 points. Uh, and then Nurk had, I swear, Nurk is coming up with extremely quiet double doubles this season. It's like I can watch him all game and think he hasn't done a whole lot. And then I look at, at the scoreboard and he's got, well, he had 13 <laughs> points and 14 rebounds. Where did that come from? Is that just me? No, it's 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 funny you say that because I'll look and it's like it's the second quarter and he has seven rebounds. <laughs> yeah. What? Seven rebounds right now? How is that possible? Uh and he had the one game where he had seventeen. There he's just so much more involved in a in a different way in the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and, and the defense too. And what I've seen from Nurk is more of an a, aggressiveness on the offensive boards. And he's getting second, third chances. And he still needs to be a better finisher, but he's getting second and third chances. And look, you got a better chance of making one out of three than you do one out of one, right? right. So yeah. When he, when he gets those offensive rebounds and gets opportunities, it's not just that he gets another chance. It's also an opportunity for somebody else to get open because when those rebounds happen, there's always some kind of breakdown on the defensive end. So if he gets that rebound and turns with all the three-point shooters that they have, there's a chance somebody's going to be open. Right. And, and you know, you we had briefly spoke about uh, Anthony Simons. He chimed in for 19 points a shot, 5 of 8 from beyond the arc, which Anthony is having an incredible start to this season and has really taken his game up a notch. Um, yeah. I think – I wish somebody would have picked him as the breakout yeah, player yeah, of the year. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> I don't know if we Eric, mentioned it to you Eric yet, did do that. Travis, but we all picked uh, our, our you know, predictions for the breakout player uh, of the yeah. year. And so far, Eric is right, predicting Anthony. I believe I, I, believe I actually picked Nurk to come out with a, a crazy uh, – actually, let me look at it. You're not wrong. That's that's not – but but saying Nurk's going to have a breakout year, like – I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, Roy Rogers coming in, he's known as being a big man coach, and he's he's been a very good big man coach. So him coming in and working directly with Nurk, I, I think it's going to do wonders for his game. And sometimes you see it, and other times like, wait, who? Huh? What? Yeah. And well, it's great. I mean, even with all the dipsy do's and stuff that Nurk does, he's still shooting 54 percent from the field. Yeah, which is better than his career average. Right. Yeah, and he's. I mean, a, right. a 12 and 12 double double. I'll take that. Well, every single yeah, night. He's doing yeah. good. Please. Well, here's what I take away you know? from the fact that we all, the three of us picked different players, is that you have a roster full of guys that could have the potential to take off this season and take their game to the next level. And it's really mm-hmm. exciting uh, when watching this team. Um, Anthony just seems to be taking off quicker than the others. Uh, I think that Hornets game, I think the issue is that we just couldn't shoot and the Hornets could I mean the the Hornets they were 52% from the field and 47 from beyond the arc that's pretty good you're you're, you're right and sometimes you got to give them credit right and they they definitely deserve some credit there but they're also defensive breakdowns right so they have some open looks the Blazers had open looks in that game too they just they they weren't hitting them and you know the the Hornets have only led at halftime once this year they're they're a good second half team and right. they played a good second half the other night, and they were hitting shots. And you know, Bridges is is terrific. Ball is good. They they they've got a really good young core. And the Hornets, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team this year. I would expect them to be a playoff team, but I think so. I think so. When, yeah. when we look back in you know April, and you know, are the Hornets a forty-five win team? Are they a forty-win team? Whatever they are, you know, that I don't think that loss is going to look as bad. And again. You know, it's it's hard to win on the road. It's hard to win on the road on the East Coast. Um, like, I know people like to make excuses, and then other people say, "Well, that that's not an excuse." I'm telling you, the the road wears you down. I've I've felt it, and I'm not a player. I just sit here and uh, I went out to dinner tonight with an old boss of mine who lives in Cleveland, and I got back to the hotel around eight o'clock Eastern. I put on the World Series. I basically didn't move. 
other than to go to the bathroom because I was doing prep for, for tomorrow's game until, you know, we started talking at 11 Eastern. So like, I'm not doing anything and it's exhausting. So for the players, <laughs> like when, when I went to go get dinner, they were getting on a bus to go shoot and go to practice. And when I got back from dinner, it just happened to be the same time they were getting back from practice. So they, they work, they work hard and every team has to deal with it. Yes. But there are going to be some games where you just don't have it. And the, the time difference for make all kinds of excuses, right? We just have to understand the fact that it's the NBA, Like the Lakers suck right now. The Suns have been it's bad. Yep. No, it's funny. Even growing up in New York, and I have really a reason to, I've always hated the Lakers. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the teams that have made a lot of changes and the players have most of the same players, but been a lot of changes with the coaching staff. There is going to take some time. We're, we're still, it's November 2nd, man. There, there's a lot of time to figure things out. They're three and four right now. They're below 500. If they started six and one, but in February they went in the stretch and they went three and four, would we be concerned? No, it's it's such a long season. It's just hard. Like in when an NFL team like the Bills, right? The Bills were a uh, Super Bowl contender. They lose the first game of the season to the Steelers. And people are like, oh my God, the Bills aren't going to be what we thought they were. Look at them now. They look like the best. <laughs> Like we just gotta yeah. gotta settle down, but that's what we do. We all overreact, mm-hmm. invested in it, and we love it, and we want to see this team succeed. And it's it, it's physically painful when they don't have the success. So we want to find a reason why yeah. we want somebody to blame. And sometimes it just it is what it is, and it will work itself out. Yeah, yeah. There there's definitely a learning curve with this team and this game, sort yeah. of against the the Hornets kind of shows it i mean i've said it before there's a jekyll and hyde with this blazer team right now absolutely there where is. the the first half i mean we were playing great defense and then in the second half we get completely almost steamrolled for the third and fourth quarter where we just can't get our footing and it just comes to show that everyone on this team is still learning it's gonna take some time and yeah. me and tim have said it before we even said it last season. We're like, give this team some time to gel because it's definitely going to take time. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we have another conversation like this and we're talking in, in January or February, right? Deadline, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come talk to you guys anytime, especially on the road. Like, is it at home? You know, I've got two little kids. Now we have a puppy uh-huh. and family time. So it's it's tough when I'm at home. But I'm on the road. It's easy. Um, <laughs> like if, we talk, if we're talking about in, in February, if we're still talking about them having to come together, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now. And I'm, and I'm not trying to take the easy way out and anything like that. I just, I believe that it's going to take a little bit of time. Chad and I talked about that a lot before the season started. Don't be surprised if there is a bit of a slow start. And there, there has been. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think they'll play their way out. They're too good. They're too yeah. good. And, yeah. and, you know, Blazer fandom should, should have expected that. I'm just I'm gonna throw it out there. We should have expected that, and if you hadn't expected that, I don't know what to tell you. Um, well, I'm gonna just come out and say it, and we don't have to talk about it at all. <laughs> but there is a there's a group of Blazer fans, and I just threw my quote fingers up that have been pining for a reason to root for this team to fail. So 
We'll see. Look, I'll, I, I, I can address that too because I've talked about that with that with Chad before. When and and as and again, I keep making references to other sports. As a New York Giants fan, I want them to lose every game possible because I want them to make a change at quarterback because Daniel Jones is not very good. <laughs> change at general manager because Gettleman has been terrible. They have more losses than anybody else over the last few years in the NFL. So while I am a Giants fan and I love my team, I was rooting for them to lose that game to the Chiefs. Uh, was that last night? I don't know what day it is. Uh, because I want yeah. them to change. And yeah. there are Blazers fans who feel that way. And I'm, I'm not going to blame any fan for, for feeling the way that they do. People want to see them fail, not because they don't like the team or anything, because they want to see change. And there's not going to be any change if there's no failure. But that's not necessarily true. Because we've seen plenty of teams that have had success, but the success isn't to the level that you want it to be. And then change comes. Like the Bucks with the trade for Drew Holiday. Um, you know, things like that. So I don't think that this team has to fail in order for there to be change. So I'm not I'm not going to blame a fan. As, me as a fan who's doing the same thing to another team right now, <laughs> saying I want you to lose and stop so you can draft and get better. I'm not going to blame Blazers fans for feeling the same way about this team. The difference is, is while I don't know that they're a championship caliber team, this is a team that's absolutely in the mix, and I think they have a higher ceiling right now than they did last year. What does that look like? I don't know yet. Right. I don't know what this team's going to look like in April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the. I'm just surprised that we lost to the 76ers. That was a surprising loss to me. So, Well, with, they probably thought the same thing last year when we didn't have Dame or CJ or half the other. True. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. went off, so, you know. CJ Ellaby game, happens. man. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's, there's a different energy when, when you don't have your stars, right? And sometimes that happens with it. That team didn't have this guy or that guy. How, how do they beat us? We, we let that guy go off. Well, that guy went off because there wasn't anybody else to go off. Mm-hmm. So he's right. shots. And the way that I look at that, like Niang last night, he had a great game. Yeah. He, he's a good player. And sometimes every now and then he's going to have a good night. He had a good, last night, a good night last night because he had an opportunity and he took advantage of it. Is it because the Blazers didn't defend him well? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes he got some open looks for three. And a couple of times he missed those, thank goodness. But he had an opportunity. Just like when when we talked about it last year in the Blazers beat the Sixers, fans back in Philly, they're cursing up a storm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, how does that happen? That's embarrassing. Philly and fans that, doing that? No way. I love exactly. 76ers Twitter, man. I yeah, love they're, they're, 76ers Twitter. Right? But the way that we saw it from our perspective is, man, our guys really up when we needed them to that's how Sixers fans are looking at it today man our guys really stepped up Curry stepped up Niang stepped up Korkmaz stepped up we're looking at it man we should have beat that team what happened so it's it, it works both ways yep. you know what I thought was interesting uh from that game is that Rocco didn't take a single shot yeah that's wild to me I mean he doesn't take yeah. a lot to begin with but not even one yeah, it was interesting. Um, I can't remember if it was last game or the game before he only played like 19 minutes. Um, it was this, this, it was this game. This game. It was yeah, this game, night. 19 minutes. Yeah, again, it all it all blends together. Plus, it's like, I don't know, watch out. It's uh, yeah, after midnight, so I'm, uh, it's all getting fuzzy. And blank. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you out of here. No, it's all it's all good. I still have plenty of work to do tonight anyway, but I, I don't have a reason for it. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to give you a, a breakdown, an explanation of, but I just, I, I don't know why. I don't know why he didn't have any shots last night. Yeah, it was it was wild to me, but uh, 
you know, Dame, Dame had moments last game where he looked like he was returning to form. He ended up with 20 points and 10 assists. Um, still wasn't shooting great from beyond the arc, but you know, maybe it's a maybe it's indicative that that you know of what's to come. You know, maybe he's starting to put it back together. Um, CJ ended up with 20, Powell with 22. You love to see that. Um, and then Nurk was close to a double double, but didn't hit double digits in either points or rebounds, which was surprising. Well, I don't think he made a field goal in the first half last night. I think it was 0 for 1 in the first half. Mm-hmm. If we want to see this team go more through the paint, why is Nurk not taking more shots? And Lagan's right. a different guy than than Embiid. Like we, okay, Embiid's out, but yeah, Drummond's been a you know defensive player of the year candidate. He's been mm-hmm. an All Star, defensive player. And I thought he did a good job on Nurk last night. He forced Nurk out of the paint and passed the ball. There were just guys that were missing shots. Yeah, he did. And and Drummond played a great game. He ended up with 14 uh, points and 15 boards himself. Yeah. So he yeah. definitely played well. Uh, you know, you already talked about Niang, but, uh, you know, Seth Curry, too. Former Trailblazer great Seth Curry yeah. <laughs> put down 23 <laughs> points on us. That hurts a little bit. Um, and then Ant came through again with, I mean, I feel like at this point we should expect Ant to hit somewhere between 15 and 20 points a game. Yeah, his, his confidence is off the charts right now. Mm-hmm. And y- Yeah, the the thing that I saw from, from Ant that I hadn't seen in the past is he's got this nice little right-handed like scoop shot going yes. into oh, the yeah. lane, floating it off of uh, the, the backboard and right into the basket, like... Just his development has been incredible. Like he's got more bags on his trick, or tricks in his bag. Yeah. What I really want to see is I want to see how he does going left though. I've seen him go right yeah. a lot. That's something that I, I'm kind of just waiting to see develop. How old is he though? He's with, only with like Anthony. 22, right? Yeah, he's. Oh man, he's, he's a young time. gun. Young, young dude. With 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 Simons last year, seventy percent of the shots that he took were three point attempts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now we're seeing that. He can drive. He can get to the rim. Uh, he can, you know, he can make the defense collapse. He can drive and kick. And last year, before Norm showed up, because Gary Trent Jr. didn't do that. He rarely got the free throw line. CJ has gotten to the rim more this year, but he's never been a guy who's going to drive and take it to the rim and, and draw fouls. He'll drive and run it up from 13 or float it in from the free throw line or pull up. He's a terrific mid-range shooter. But last year, Dame is really the only guy who's going to penetrate and get to the rim. CJ's doing it more this year. Anthony's doing it more this year. Norman Powell is really good at getting to the rim. Yeah. Now that that burden of making the defense collapse and opening things up on the outside isn't solely on Dame. And I think that's that's another reason why you're not seeing Dame the same way that he was because things are things are just different, and he's got to find what his groove is. Hmm. Uh. One of the craziest stats that uh, I remember us talking about last season is that Anthony Simons had more dunks up until the dunk contest. He had more dunks in the dunk contest than he had all season. Yeah. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously he can fly, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I he, think, got, he got bounced. I think it was it, it came down to one of those things where it's just like he he just wasn't utilized properly. And I think that's what we're seeing this season is that. He's he's. It seems like he's been given the green light, and and he's really yeah. he's really flourishing. Well, like, his it's, body's it's developed too. True. Yeah, well, definitely. He he definitely looks. He looks more like a man now. Than mm-hmm. You know, and and when when you say that he wasn't utilized properly, that offense last year 
and the Terry Stops offense, Anthony Simons is not designed for that offense. So you, you can't say, yeah, that he wasn't utilized properly, but because he didn't fit into what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I think what they're doing now, running things differently, it, it it's allowing players to, specifically Simon, it's allowing him to be himself because he fits, his game fits better into what they're doing now. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think the bottom line is this team just needs a little more time and once they get it, they're going to be scary. Uh, yeah. But if you guys don't have any more questions for Travis, I want to move into our final segment. I got Go one. ahead. So we, we talked about his favorite call. We talked about his, you know, his time in Portland. But we haven't talked about his favorite player during his time here. And I wanted to know if there's a specific player that you had some kind of rapport relationship with that stands out amongst the others. Well, yes and no. Like there are a couple of little things here and there. Like so, a after the game, uh, I'll do a post-game interview if the Blazers win, and we're back at one thirteen, and the player will be on the sideline. They'll put their headset on, and they, you know, they just talk. One player, the four years that I've been doing this, has ever looked around and said, "Hey, where are you guys at?" And wanted to make sure that he had, even though it was from across the gym, had eye contact with us. Can you guess who that guy is? CJ. No. Oh. <laughs> I thought I thought for sure. CJ's always been such a thoughtful guy. Yeah. yeah. He, he is. It was I Carmelo was going to say Carmelo. Dang it. That's just Carmelo. It was, it was Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Carmelo just gets it. I, I liked Carmelo. And, um, you know, his his game doesn't fit with this team anymore. So I think they made the right move moving on from him. But I, I loved watching him play. I enjoyed watching him play. So there was that, that, that wasn't like a personal interaction. Like, oh, cool. Now me and Carmelo are going to get drinks after the game. Sweet. Uh, it wasn't anything like that. Everybody's always treated me really nicely. Um, uh, Myers Leonard was always really cool to me personally. Um, I know a, a lot of people in the market felt that way. Um, but I yeah. love Myers. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, Dame, it's it's hard not to love Dame because for for a superstar, like he's he's never and I've I've seen Dame since his his first game as a blazer. I've never seen him look at somebody like he was better than them when he could probably look at everybody and, and act like he's better than them. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen him do that with anybody. And you know, as as somebody who is Again, trying to, to blend in a little bit. Uh, if Dame and I are going to the same elevator, I always stop and let him go first. Um, you know, last night when I was leaving, there was one of the turnstile type door and I stopped the door halfway through to make sure he could come in. He always acknowledges that and he doesn't have to. And I know it's just a stupid little thing, but he just, he's very respectful. And the things that he does on the floor, 61 points, walk-off shots, waving goodbye, driving <laughs> big threes, the deep threes. I mean, there are so many things that he does on the floor that he's so much fun to watch. And it's 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 an obvious answer to say Dame is my favorite player to watch for sure. But he is as good off the floor as he is on it. Even if we're, we're not friends and we don't hang out, there's 
there's just a level of respect that he has for people. And I think as the leader of this team, the personalities on this team are also that way. And they follow that too. I've never had a negative interaction with, with any player at all. So it's, it's cool that, that Dame is that way that he, he's just respectful of people. And I've got a ton of respect for him. And you shared a moment with Rasheed Wallace. Oh well, I mean, yeah, I did cool. share. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I was, also, I was in, I was in the locker room for the CTC moment. I was standing like two feet away from him when that happens. So there was that. But again, these are things that like Rashid would have no recollection of my existence. <laughs> but you do, and that's what matters. But Travis, that's true. We have to get to our final <laughs> segment. Yeah, and that is called giving props. So giving props is giving respect or credit due to a person, story, or a group of people. And so what I want to know from you three is do you give this props? Last week, we talked about a man that was lost in the woods and he was ignoring calls from his rescuers. And now I want to talk about another man who was lost, a 50-year-old man in Turkey. He was out drinking with his friends and he wandered into a nearby forest and didn't return. Worried about him, his friends alerted authorities who set up a search and rescue mission to find him. Apparently, the missing friend ended up joining his own search party for hours before realizing that he was the person the search party was looking for. I'm going to start with Travis. Travis, do you give props to this missing man who accidentally joined his own search party for himself yeah i i do because we've all had that moment where like we're talking to the phone we're like hey hang on a minute i gotta find my phone uh <laughs> where, where like, we, we've all been there so it's like hey what are we looking for again oh wait me oh yeah i'm right here hey everybody what's up no i'll give him props for that for sure search over eight point <laughs> <laughs> Travis gives it props. Tim, what about you? Uh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I have to give it props. Just just, just for the simple fact that he joined his own watch party. Like, how often does that happen? That's incredible to me. <laughs> it did happen one other time, apparently, in China. Eric, do you give this props? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes a special... I mean, you can't make that up. You know what I mean? Like, you can't write that any better. That's an SNL sketch or something. You know? Yeah. Totally. You write that better. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we have props all around for our next story. In April, there was a Battle of the Joshes. You guys might have heard of this. An adventurous four-year-old was the surprise winner in this massive, wacky brawl among hundreds of people named Josh. And they were all armed with pool noodles and a four-year-old one. The goofy event organized by a college student um, in a field in Nebraska. Basically, they just wanted to know who was the Josh of all Josh. The creator of this apparently was extremely frustrated trying to make accounts for himself on Twitter, on Instagram, and his name was always taken. So he created this event. The winner was a four-year-old. His name, of course, is Josh. Vincent Jr. Do you give props to Josh for defeating all the Joshes? Travis. Yeah, so I, I've got a few friends who are named Josh. I've known uh, a lot of a lot of Joshes in my day. And uh, if you guys listen to the show, you'll, you'll hear me refer to my friend Dash. His real name is Josh. <laughs> a lot of guys named Josh. Like where I grew up, there were a lot of Joes. Uh, there were a lot of Pauls. So everybody that had like the same name had a nickname. Right? There was something differentiating 
uh, about them. So we're like, oh, have you seen Joe? Which one? There are 60 guys. <laughs> See, I live in the there's 60 guys over here named Joe. Which one? So it's, it's kind of the same way with, with Josh's out here. I know a lot of guys named Josh. So if out of all of these Josh's, and I mean, who wouldn't want to see a bunch of people fight with a fool movie? If a four-year-old came out the Josh of all Josh's, how do you not give that kid props? Amen. Amen. Eric, do you give this props? I'm giving little four-year-old Josh props for winning and coming out victorious. The rest of the Josh's can all kick rocks. I would have punted a four-year-old. <laughs> like Baxter and Anchorman. Like, no mercy. No no props to those guys, though. But yeah, big pro- mad props to little Josh. Well, Eric Learning is going... Like kids around you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to punt my own four-year-old sometimes. <laughs> Eric is going with the mixed props over here. Tim, you're the final one. Go for it, buddy. All right. I need to know... What... So he is the Josh of all Joshes. Is that the only thing he won? I think so. I think it was just for that title. And a sucker. I think they they ended up like raising him above all the Joshes, and they were all like chanting a, like Josh. Like a Rudy moment. Yes. Like a Jewish wedding up on the chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there we go. Uh, okay, okay, and and I guess I just I need more context. Like, was it just like they're just in a big circle? in the middle of a field with pool noodles and they just went and yes. it's like maybe this kid was just the smartest person out there he just waited it was for- like tag it was like tag if you were tagged with a pool noodle it's honor system you're out of you're out of the battle really yeah of course i give it props that's awesome good for well, that there kid. we go four-year-old be- props. i want to know who the oldest josh was there <laughs> yeah that's that would be awesome was there but like anyway. an 87 year old guy out there who's <laughs> Pool noodle, he's trying to use it as a cane. <laughs> he's just failing, falling over. Anyway, I'm going to cut this now. That's all we have for giving props for today. Awesome. Thank you for that, Ro. Uh, Travis, that's all we got for you today. So we want to say big time thank you for joining the show. Uh, we had a thank great you. time with you. I hope you did too. Before we go, Travis, do you have anything that you want to plug that you've been doing yeah, I did. It was fun, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll have to do it again. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you can listen to me with Chad again. I'm, I'm there on in the off-season and on uh, when we're not on the road or playing games, so not very much right now. Uh, 620 Herb City Radio, of course, you can hear all the games, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Travis Demers. I post a lot of, like, Blazer stuff, but I also post a lot of pictures of my kids. Uh, so you're going to have to deal with that too. But I also give away free tickets, so come follow me. <laughs> uh, shout out to my co-host, the Encyclopedia Foster, uh, the Bay Area Blazer, Ro, Zapanta, uh, the Basketball Podcast Network, DraftKings, and especially you, our listeners, Twitter followers, and Bucket Busters. You make it so easy to keep stepping up to this mic. Don't forget to rate, follow, and subscribe if you're digging what we're saying. Be good to each other, Rip City. We'll catch you next time on the Busted Bucket Podcast. Thanks for listening. 